Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Right now in the United States, people should not be walking around with masks. While elections are sometimes messy, this was a secure election. The founders began the fight for human liberty and self-governance, and it's up to us to finish the job. I tell you what, we are in a truth emergency right now. This is the end game. It's Thursday, November 10th, 2022, the 659th day of dystopia. I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. A warm welcome and hello to all of you listening to the podcast on the day of its release. The only way to do that is by becoming a paid subscriber at I'mYourModerator.Substack.com. You can do so for as little as $50 a year or $5 a month. And in doing so, you will be supporting me, the work I do, and this show as it expands. And if you can't, or you simply don't want to, continue listening to the podcast for free on a wide range of platforms and Rumble. All of those links are available at Linktree.com slash I'mYourModerator or in the show description. All I ask is that you share it with your friends. I hope everybody has had a chance to settle down and think things over over the past 24 hours or so and realize that you have now weathered an extraordinarily well-orchestrated and high-tech psychological operation designed to demoralize you. 
And if you are not demoralized, well, congratulations, you made it. As I discussed yesterday, the reaction from conservative media, from Fox News, from the Daily Wire, from the National Review, and from the mouthpieces of Conservative Incorporated, from the GOP establishment and the elites, from the members of the Uniparty with little R's next to their name, that began in the evening Tuesday as the television networks were broadcasting what they call the results of Tuesday's midterm elections, was clearly coordinated, not only in its timing and its messaging, but its intent, the way that it was supposed to make people feel, particularly the supporters of Donald Trump. Outlets and influencers who have been largely trusted or trusted to some degree by the supporters of the America First movement, by the supporters of Donald Trump, launched a coordinated attack to demoralize people and in doing so to try to take away the power of the movement behind Donald Trump in hopes that by giving them what they believed would be a suitable replacement in Ron DeSantis, they could simply get everybody to move on and finally remove Trump from the conversation once and for all. It was a pretty weak attempt and it was a pretty desperate attempt, but it was also pretty obvious. And with an extra 24 hours past, that has become fairly clear. The narratives on Twitter and in the media have changed. And while there are still people clinging to this and still trying to push it out there and say that the red wave never came and MAGA lost, it's all Donald Trump's fault. It's not working. And these people are getting blown up in their comments. And it's not working because people can see the reality. MAGA did not lose. Donald Trump's endorsed candidates have won 219 of the races that have been called so far with only 16 losses. That's an incredible record. And the facts on the ground have changed as well. Lauren Boebert looks like she's going to win in Colorado. Carrie Lake, Blake Masters, Mark Fincham, and Abe Hamaday all look like a mathematical certainty to win their races in Arizona, which would be a clean sweep for MAGA in Arizona. And it would put a team in place prepared to handle issues like illegal immigration and election fraud in Arizona. Carrie Lake is now expected to win by somewhere between five and eight points. That's not a razor thin margin. That's not the sort of margin that calls for days and days of extra counting. They're barely counting anything. They're just trying to drag it out so that Carrie Lake doesn't get the narrative win because that narrative win would expose and blow up the entire narrative that we were fed by the mainstream media and by conservative incorporated on Tuesday night. The television told people that Lauren Boebert, that crazy lady in Colorado, that really, really horrible QAnon conspiracy theorist, gun toting, Bible thumping Republican in Colorado. They told their audiences that she was going to lose and that that was symptomatic of how bad a night MAGA was having and how roundly they were being rejected around the country. But that's not true. The last thing the media wanted was for Carrie Lake to be giving a victory speech on Tuesday night. 
And so they made that impossible. But Carrie Lake will win. She'll be the next governor of Arizona. And you have to think at this point that she is the odds on favorite to become the first female president of the United States somewhere down the line. Blake Masters is almost guaranteed to win in Arizona. Adam Laxalt looks like he's pretty much guaranteed to win in Nevada. And at that point, the Republicans will have taken back the Senate and Herschel Walker may be able to add another Senate seat on to the Republican total, making their majority 52-48 in the Senate. And you have to imagine that a process will begin in states around the country to examine election fraud in many of these races because it is obviously happening everywhere. People have begun pouring over the data from the election and the cast vote records. Mike Lindell and his team are working on all of that, and he is talking about it each evening on Frank's speech. You can actually go look at some of the data for yourself. Jeff O'Donnell, a.k.a. the Lone Raccoon, has put up a website that makes it pretty easy to spot anomalies. And if you want to check that website out, it is MAGARaccoon.com slash midterm results dot ASP. And that stuff will play out over time. But we should have results in Arizona within the next couple of days. And at that point, these people will be declared winners. The media will try to ignore it and they will hope that the official story they disseminated on Tuesday night will stick around. But for most people, that's extremely unlikely. Most people no longer trust the mainstream media at all. And this will very likely boomerang on them to the point where the lies that they spread on Tuesday night will become so obviously false to everybody that it's just one more strike against the mainstream media. Even at this point, the country knows that the votes are in. There is no reason for them not to have been counted by now. There's no reason why these races cannot be called. And when these races are called, it'll show the Republicans winning the House and the Senate, which is why they're not being called. They want to allow the narrative to extend for days on end until people stop paying attention. And once the final results are realized, people will be told that Republicans have very slim margins. And that's when we'll begin hearing the talk about how the country must be unified and what Americans really want is for the Congress and the Senate to function well in a bipartisan fashion. And we're going to hear that from the establishment of both sides. And this is one of those moments when it's really worth taking note of the gap, the wide gap between the story you're being told and what's actually happening in the real world. What's actually happening in the real world is that Republicans are going to have a 30 or 40 seat majority. And that's even after an election that is rife with election fraud. They will also have a majority in the Senate. This is a Republican win by any definition. But it's not only a Republican win, it's a MAGA win. MAGA is the movement that was out there knocking on doors, getting involved in elections, trying to wake up and inform their friends and their neighbors and their co-workers. That wasn't the Republican establishment. The Republican establishment specifically tried to lose certain races. One of them was 
Blake Masters in Arizona. Another was Kelly Shabaka in Alaska. Another was Don Bolduc in New Hampshire. Another was Doug Mastriano in Pennsylvania. Where is the GOP establishment in talking about the problems with these elections and the delays in the election counts? Where are they supporting Herschel Walker, who will now be subjected to a runoff election due to election fraud? Why doesn't the GOP establishment care about Republican majorities? Why don't they care about big Republican majorities? Because they were certainly possible. The Cook Political Report published popular vote numbers around the country. Not that the popular vote is a real thing now or in presidential elections, but it's some indication of what's happening. And as of last night, 50.1 million Americans voted for Republicans and only 44,243,000 voted for Democrats. That's about a 6 million vote difference. Now, we were told that in the 2020 election, Joe Biden received 6 or 7 million more votes than Donald Trump. 81 million real legal American votes. And in two years, that 6 million vote advantage has turned into a 6 million vote disadvantage. One might call that a red wave. But that's not how the media described it, because the media made certain people out to be totally unpalatable as candidates. And when those people lost, the media made a big deal about it. They coordinated with conservative, in quotes, influencers on Twitter and right wing, in quotes, media outlets to declare that there was no red wave based on the winners and losers around the country, but a 6 million vote popular vote advantage. What part of that isn't a red wave? Sounds to me like Republicans actually have a huge majority in this country. Now, who knows? Maybe California will add an extra six or seven million fake Democrat votes over the next couple of weeks. And we'll be told that, no, the Republicans didn't win the popular vote. It's simply not possible. But it is possible and it's here. It's evidenced pretty clearly. Now, right now, that's about 95 million total votes around the country. In 2020, we were told that in the presidential election, there were 158 million votes. But somehow for these midterms, 63 million of those people just didn't show up. Now, I know we've been told countless times that more people show up in the presidential elections than the midterm elections, and that's probably true to some degree, and that's just fine. But it's worth noting that Joe Biden told his 81 million very real voters that this was the most important election in history and that democracy was on the ballot and that it was up to them to save America from Donald Trump and the extreme ultra mega MAGA Republicans. Well, where were his other 27 million voters? How did that happen? Donald Trump posted yesterday on Truth Social. I think I mentioned it on the podcast. Now that the election in Florida is over and everything went quite well, 
Shouldn't it be said that in 2020, I got 1.1 million more votes in Florida than Ron DeSantis got this year? 5.7 million to 4.6 million. Just asking. And he's right, of course. If Ron DeSantis is the greatest governor of all time and everybody loves him so much, why did fewer Republican voters in Florida come out and vote for Ron DeSantis then came out and voted for Donald Trump in 2020. We're told that Ron DeSantis is the new champion of the Republican Party. If that's so, why did Donald Trump get more voters to the polls in 2020 than DeSantis got this year? I mean, a lot of people have moved to Florida to be in Ron DeSantis's state, right? Shouldn't he have even a bigger base to draw from than Donald Trump's base in 2020? But of course, since that fact is inconvenient to the conservative incorporated narrative on Twitter, we had a whole new round of fake MAGA turncoats telling us all how dangerous and divisive Donald Trump is. And naturally, it's all from people who went along with every bad narrative of the last seven years and happily silence themselves in order to stay within the rules of the censored platforms so they could keep winning over an audience and continue raking in the cash from the corrupt big tech websites. And one of those is Tim Pool. When Trump tweeted this last night, Tim Pool wrote, holy shit, LOL, Trump is over. Hey, Beanie Boy, Trump's not over. Does anyone want to take a bet on whose career will end first out of Donald Trump and Tim Pool? Tim Pool actually had some MAGA audience. How long are they going to stick around? And once Tim Pool is exposed as a ridiculous fraud who doesn't know anything, how long is the rest of his audience going to stick around? Donald Trump's going to be just fine. Donald Trump's not going anywhere. The last seven years have been nothing but attempts to take down Donald Trump and his supporters, but we're still here. We're growing every single day. The funny thing is, and I'm not saying this is going to happen, but the funny thing is Donald Trump could choose Ron DeSantis as his vice president next week. DeSantis would accept and all of us would be like, hey, cool, good choice. I guess Ron's not a bad guy. There's nothing wrong with us being skeptical about candidates who seem like they're MAGA but might not be, especially as we witness all of the media figures and Twitter influencers who claim to be at least America First friendly and turn out not to be at all. Ron DeSantis isn't being hurt by it. Donald Trump's certainly not being hurt by it. We're not being hurt by it. Who are the only people being hurt by it? Well, the GOP establishment would be destroyed by it and conservative Inc. and the DeSantis simps and all of these Twitter influencers, the Ben Shapiro's and Mike Cernovich's and Tim Pool's of the world, all of the clownish buffoons on Twitter declaring the end of Donald Trump. Well, they'd all be finished because they've all outed themselves. Some of them would immediately jump back on board and say, oh, hey, I was just kidding. I think that this is the greatest ticket ever. But anyone doing that is going to have a hard time selling that to their audience. These people who imagine themselves as the smartest, most objective analysts, always operating on the facts, 
have failed to realize that they have put themselves in checkmate. If Ron DeSantis doesn't run against Trump and doesn't defeat Trump, these guys are basically shit out of luck. Their power to influence the conversation immediately drops to zero because no one on the right will ever trust them again. They have no ability to gain power in the America first movement because they're not America first. They're all liars and frauds. They don't actually know anything. So instead, they're trying to get first in line to be recognized as the biggest and best and loyalist Ron DeSantis supporters. But that's not going to do anything. Hey, maybe in 2028, you guys can try again. One of the funniest parts of this is that the narrative doesn't even work now. It does not make sense. This is the New York Times from yesterday. The headline is see which 2020 election deniers and skeptics won in the midterms. Now, you might remember a couple of weeks ago, I shared an article from Newsweek that discussed how election experts had determined that 189 election deniers we're expected to win their elections in the midterms. So how did that go? Because election deniers for sure are MAGA. And we've been told MAGA got crushed on Tuesday night. So let's have a look. More than 220 Republicans who questioned the 2020 elections have won seats in the U.S. House and Senate and in state races for governor, secretary of state and attorney general, according to results as of 9 p.m. on Wednesday. And we still have more coming. How could it happen? Election deniers were supposed to win 189 seats and they won 220 seats with more to come. And Republican losses were Donald Trump's fault. Well, that's not possible. I guess someone's lying. Who could it be? The media, conservative incorporated, the GOP elite and establishment, the uniparty, including the ones with little R's next to their name. Yeah, it's them. Just like every other time. How are they lying again? How is it that people still believe them about anything? Well, more and more people don't believe them about anything because they're lying all the time. At the extreme end of this group are about three dozen candidates who explicitly said the presidential election was stolen or rigged and good for them. The presidential election was stolen and rigged. Most of this group are Republicans who were less direct in challenging the election, but still made statements that cast doubt on the electoral process. But even as this group of election deniers and skeptics were winning seats, dozens of other Republican candidates who were also election deniers and skeptics lost their races for higher office, contributing to the failure of a much anticipated red wave. So you got that? 30 more election deniers won their races than the mainstream media told us to expect, but there was still a failure of the much anticipated red wave, even though he also won the House and won the Senate and are going to have a clean sweep of not only MAGA, but election deniers in Arizona. The losses have raised questions over whether election denialism was at least partly to blame. But conversely, the winds could be seen as a signal that election skepticism is not a fleeting fad and that a version of it, perhaps a more subtle version that is harder to dismiss than outright denialism, is already in the Republican mainstream. Not only is it in the Republican mainstream, communist at the New York Times, 
It's in the mainstream. Americans just watched elections be manipulated and stolen in front of their eyes for the second election cycle in a row. What do you think that's going to do? And naturally, the New York Times writes a few paragraphs giving complicated and convoluted explanations on how election denialism is still very wrong. And if you look at it in a very particular way, you can see that election deniers actually totally failed. But then we get to this part. More than 180 skeptics elected in the House. With results still pending, more than a third of the newly elected House has questioned or denied the 2020 election. More than two dozen explicitly said the election was stolen or rigged. About half the candidates, the Times originally categorized as the most extreme election deniers, but most so doubt in other ways. Most of the skeptics elected to the House are incumbents who either objected to the 2020 Electoral College results, supported a lawsuit to throw out results in four states, or spread falsehoods in other public statements. Nearly all were favored to win. And congratulations to them. They did. The Times categorized most of this group as sowing doubt about the 2020 election, but not explicitly denying the results. And apparently that is now the standard. So, yes, the election deniers absolutely crushed it in an even bigger way than was expected in the lead up to the election. But you see, the thing is. Most of them didn't deny it that hard, which basically makes them almost not election deniers. And if you look at it like that, then election deniers actually did really, really bad, except for the ones who denied it the hardest. And they did really, really good. But you see, election denialism is still a fringe and extreme point of view that is extremely dangerous and could end our democracy. In fact, it may have already done it, and we just haven't realized it yet. We also have 12 senators who are election deniers and election skeptics. Well, that's a nice solid chunk for now. More than two dozen election skeptics were elected to state offices, and there's more to come. We got Mark Fincham coming. In Arizona, we've got Abe Hamaday. And that's all going to be pretty interesting. But let's think about the narratives that have already fallen apart since the other night. The craziest MAGA people lost. Well, no, Lauren Boebert's going to win. She was the one that was called crazier than anyone, except for maybe Marjorie Taylor Greene, who won by like 30 points. Doug Mastriano was called a kook. Well, he's not going to concede in Pennsylvania. And they're not talking about it much right now. I think the Arizona situation is probably going to play itself out first. And then we might hear about efforts going on in Pennsylvania because Pennsylvania and Nevada are the most fraud ridden states in the entire country. And I would highly doubt that Doug Mastriano is just going to go quietly into that good night. So the craziest MAGA candidates weren't defeated. Trump endorsed candidates actually crushed it. Six million more American voters came out to vote for Republicans than Democrats, obviously assuming that the election numbers are clean. And I absolutely understand that they weren't only talking about the narrative and election denialism presented no problem whatsoever for candidates seeking election. In fact, they did even better than expected. So contrary to the entire narrative that was disseminated on Tuesday night, Republicans didn't lose. 
the red wave was real. MAGA candidates won big. There is nothing that could possibly be blamed on Donald Trump. And election fraud is being exposed in front of the entire country. And that, my friends, is the difference between the narrative and reality. The narrative creates a false reality and people will remain in that false reality. Some of the people, you know, who are just dyed in the wool communists or very committed establishment Republicans will hold on to that narrative for a long time, maybe forever. And presenting them with the objective and empirical reality will not change their minds. And the question is why? And a broader question is, why is the Republican establishment and the Republican establishment voters, people who have been voting Republican for a very long time, people who were Bush voters and McCain voters and Romney voters, why will they still believe all that? The truth is that they're still in the party of false decorum. They still want to be able to impress people. They want to maintain their relationships with people who imagine that they're centrist as they hand walk the country into communism. And naturally, all of the leftists and elitists, because they want those people to like them. They want to be elites. The entire anti-Trump narrative and anti-Trump supporter narrative from conservative incorporated is nothing more than virtue signaling to uniparty and global elites. They want to be able to unify with these people. They think that they can safely support Ron DeSantis without turning those people off, but they are totally opposed to publicly supporting Donald Trump because they know they'll get in trouble and nothing else. That's the only reason they are just trying to maintain their position in the party of false decorum. Most of these people, if not all, have gone through the last two and a half years totally comfortably because they were in a position of such comfort and such safety that the two greatest concurrent crises in American history with many more mounting on top of that really didn't affect them at all. They are still primarily concerned with their image, their status, their wealth, and their position on the hierarchy of elites. Now, hey, Maybe some of them will figure it out and they'll try to do a better job and they'll try to make their way back. But there's no reason to assume that they will. And if the response they're getting on Twitter is any indication, these people have basically pounded the last nails into their own coffins. They're going to lose their audiences and it's probably not going to feel too nice. But fortunately for them, on Election Day, the New York Times published some tips on how to deal with election stress. They put out a little graphic on social media, five ways to soothe election stress. And I think that maybe Ben Shapiro and Mike Cernovich and Tim Poole and other complete and total anti-American morons could potentially benefit from this. The first way, try five finger breathing. Trace the outside of your hand with your pointer finger. When you trace up, breathe in. And when you trace down, breathe out. And who in the world knows what that means? Cool down. Plunge your face into a bowl with ice water for 15 to 30 seconds. That'll help you deal with the burn, I guess. Move. Even a walk around the block can offer some relief for an uneasy mind. 
Breathe like a baby. Focus on expanding your belly as you breathe, which can send more oxygen to the brain. Limit your scrolling. Consider plotting out specific times when you will look for election updates. So I wish all of them the best in their recovery. It's worth noting that the New York Times seems to have realized that its audience is entirely populated by people who are aged into adulthood, but nonetheless have little tiny child brains rattling around in their skulls like so many maracas. Another group of people who might need the New York Times tips on how to soothe their election stresses are the members of the January 6th committee. Obviously, Adam Kinzinger has been having a meltdown for the last two years, which has intensified substantially. Same with Liz Cheney, who lost her primary race in Wyoming by 40 points. But Elaine Loria on the committee lost her election on Tuesday night. And Benny Thompson, who is the leader of the January 6th committee, the chairman was poised to lose his race on Tuesday night, but then miraculously won in the middle of the night. So it turns out that that effort to destroy Trump and his supporters has also failed spectacularly. But of course, they have no intent in stopping. And the new narrative is that now Trump must be indicted for whatever reason, any of the potential indictment reasons will work. Will it be January 6th? Will it be the Mar-a-Lago raid? Will it be because he paid for one of his friends and employees' kids to go to school? Who knows what it'll be? But Joe Biden gave a speech last night and said it was just absolutely necessary to make sure that Donald Trump could never be president ever again. Otherwise, democracy might be destroyed again, just as it was on Tuesday night. And I want to go a bit further into something I was discussing yesterday in terms of these particular people in the media, the GOP establishment and elite conservative incorporated, the people who worship Ron DeSantis to the point where it seems like they either want to sleep with him or wear him as a skin suit. And naturally, all of the members of the Uniparty on both sides and the avowed global communists, they have all been spewing their very astute analysis all over Twitter. And all of it is ridiculous and wrong because all of it is based on the false premise that the elections are all clean and that the people denying that the people who are talking about the obvious fact that elections are stolen up and down the ballot all around the country are denying it because of some cultish loyalty to Donald Trump. There couldn't be any other reason. Trump says elections were stolen, so we all say elections are stolen. They've all accepted that the elections are very safe and very secure. There's absolutely no way that any elections could have possibly been stolen in 2020, especially not the presidential election. They, of course, believe that the entire argument is all about the 2020 presidential election. It's all about Donald Trump. And they can't get past that. They can't understand what the actual argument is because they won't listen to it. They think that anyone making it must be stupid or crazy or delusional. 
And since they themselves didn't bother checking at all because they don't actually care, they fail to realize that absolutely all of the evidence in the world, or at least all the direct evidence, actually supports our case. And because they've never considered it, because they've gone so hard in the other direction, because they exist in a false reality where that actually makes sense, they have spent the last two years analyzing everything based on that entirely false assumption. Now, if you've been around since I started this podcast in the spring of 2020, then you'll know that from the beginning, I have talked about rooting our beliefs in what we can actually know about the way the world works and about events as they actually exist. The idea being that all of our beliefs, if we're going to build other arguments on top of them, should be based in things that we absolutely know are true. But people who are still asleep totally fail to do that. People in the party of false decorum fail to do that because their goals are to succeed through impressing other people and gaining power from playing the game. There's no incentive for them to actually attempt to find the truth for just about anything if the truth doesn't help them in that process. It's true that elections are stolen, but there's no use for saying that within the party of false decorum. You are punished for saying that. You are incentivized to say the opposite. So the truth doesn't matter at all. They simply have to accept the position that our elections are safe and secure. They are clean. Trump did lose. Joe Biden really did get 81 million real legal American votes. A total impossibility. And because they're incentivized into those positions and punished for leaving those positions, they simply accept those false positions as axiomatic truths and then build off of them. Their analysis, all their theories about politics and how things work become rooted in blatant and obvious falsehoods. And after that point, there's no way for them to get to positions of truth. And so when someone like Mike Cernovich or Ben Shapiro or Tim Pool needs to analyze the quips from Donald Trump about Ron DeSantis, for instance, they have a limited number of ways to do that, and none of those ways actually intersect with baseline, provable, observable truths from the empirical reality. To them, the key factor at play in what Donald Trump is doing is Donald Trump's ego and his pursuit of becoming president again. And it can't be anything else but that. These guys might as well devote their podcasts to analyzing soap operas. They're dealing only in fiction and they're dealing only with emotions and perceptions of an individual character's morality. Like, ooh, did you see what Ridge said about Brooke? Did you see what Stone said about Granger? Oh, yes, I did see that. But you know Stone, he's an egomaniac, a bit of a narcissist, honestly. Well, yes, that's true. But Granger has always had a good relationship with Stone up until now. Well, yes, fine. That's true. But I trust Granger because Granger and Genevieve 
when they had that tryst three years ago, that was real. I think Granger really proved he's an honest man. Do you remember after Genevieve got in the car crash and then had amnesia and didn't remember who Granger was? Granger still stayed by her side. So if it comes down to who to believe out of Stone and Granger, I have to go with Granger. Oh, yes, I understand what you're saying. But if you recall a couple of years back after Genevieve began to recover from her amnesia, she had a memory about Granger and how he betrayed Stone in business. So I've got to say, maybe there's something more to this. Maybe Stone knows something. And Stone does have that gorilla mindset. You know what I mean? Perhaps Stone and Granger are both just okay. And maybe you and I can unify around that. And then they grab a box of tissues and turn on General Hospital and weep together. And I was thinking this morning about how my friend Kyle, known as Just Human Online, often highlights this Ayn Rand quote. She says, contradictions do not exist. Whenever you think that you are facing a contradiction, check your premises. You will find that one of them is wrong. And it's always important to keep that in mind. There are confusing situations in the world, to be sure. There are plenty of things about which we cannot know enough to reach a firm conclusion. And on those things, it's good to have some doubt. But for most things, if something doesn't make sense, it's usually because one of the things you're considering is actually just wrong. And I think a lot of us over the last few years have learned just how important this is because we've seen how many of the things we believe to be true turn out not to be true at all. And at that point, it's up to us to realize, hey, this baseline belief of mine was incorrect. What other things do I believe that depend on this baseline belief that I've found to be incorrect? Because there's a chance that all of those other higher level beliefs that depend on that baseline belief are also wrong. And then we need to work our way through those. It's almost become a meme on Twitter at this point because it's used so often. It's become a cliche, but very serious intellectuals on there like to talk often about how everyone else needs to reconsider their priors. And this is what they're talking about. Which of your foundational beliefs are leading you to this wrong outcome? But these people rarely go through this exercise themselves, and almost no one does it when it comes to Donald Trump. And this is one of the major reasons why Trump is still seen as divisive. It is one of their foundational beliefs that Donald Trump is an egomaniac and a narcissist, and everything he does in the political sphere reflects the fact that he's an egomaniac and a narcissist, and nothing else could possibly explain it because their foundational belief once again explains absolutely everything they could ever need to think about. Now, does it make sense that Donald Trump, as an egomaniac and a narcissist, and above all, somebody who wants to increase his wealth at all times would put himself up for what will end up being 
over a decade of nonstop abuse from all of the most powerful institutions in the world. There may be few people in history who have had more awful things said about them than Donald Trump. That's not generally something an egomaniac and a narcissist signs up for. On the other hand, it is the sort of thing someone who is willing to sacrifice for a good and worthwhile cause would do. Would someone who's obsessed with making all of the money in the world take a job that would end up reducing their net worth by $2 billion and then still want to do that job again? Would a person who's so obsessed with making money at every turn to the point where he's trying to generate a profit from American taxpayers at his hotel properties also give away his $400,000 per year salary to charity? And the answer, of course, is no. And since there's no other justification for believing that Donald Trump is an egomaniac and a narcissist and so greedy that he would use his office as president to increase his own wealth, even though it didn't happen. Oh, but wait, it didn't happen because Donald Trump is also stupid. Well, at some point, you would think that these people would begin to wind back their beliefs and see if maybe any of their underlying beliefs might not be exactly correct. Mike Cernovich loves to say that Donald Trump is an egomaniac and a narcissist. He's not that smart. He's not a strong leader. He's just weak all the time. And of course, Mike Cernovich would do this because he's a lispy moron who wrote a book called Gorilla Mindset and thinks he's like the manliest tough guy to ever exist and surely tougher than Donald Trump. He's also smarter than Donald Trump. He's a better, more moral person than Donald Trump. He's also much more competent than Donald Trump. And if Cernovich were ever in Donald Trump's position, he would have made much better decisions and everybody in the entire world would be better off for it. He believes that Donald Trump was actually very weak in office. But at the same time, Mike Cernovich appeared in Amanda Milius's documentary, The Plot Against the President. And that documentary is entirely about the Russiagate hoax and the fact that Donald Trump had a soft coup being enacted against him for the entire duration of his presidency. But Donald Trump had an extremely, extremely successful presidency. And it's not just the economy. It's not just the three Supreme Court justices he put in place that have accomplished things like overturning the absolutely abominable Roe versus Wade decision or the decision in West Virginia versus the EPA that could by itself help to completely dismantle the massively oversized federal bureaucracy that creates the administrative state, the deep state causing so many problems in this country, selling this country out to the global communists and their agenda. Donald Trump did countless good things while there was a coup being enacted against him. And so Mike Cernovich there runs into a contradiction. It's not possible that Donald Trump is a stupid and weak and incompetent and narcissistic egomaniac who also sacrificed his ego and his wealth to be president 
and then had one of the most successful presidencies in American history while there was a coup being enacted against him. So at that point, if Mike Cernovich was smart and Mike Cernovich is not smart, he would circle back to the beginning and he would reconsider his priors and he would find out that one of his premises is actually wrong. And it's the one that was created in the false reality that Donald Trump is all of those bad things. Well, why do so many people think that there was an entire media movement to create that image of Donald Trump? Every single powerful institution in the world aligned with the global agenda has now spent seven and a half years trying to destroy Donald Trump and his supporters, but they failed. And that can't happen if Donald Trump is all those bad things. But there was no reason to believe it in the first place. People believed it because they were incentivized to believe it. And people won't oppose it because they get punished for opposing it. And if you don't believe that, just look at what happens to everyone who has publicly opposed it. I know from personal experience, and I imagine many of you know from personal experience as well. And if you do, I'm sorry you had to go through that, but you're probably also a much better person for it. And you should be proud of the fact that you chose to stand in truth rather than do what was easy and what would have provided personal benefit. But another one of the priors for all these people is that our elections are actually clean. There is overwhelming evidence that they're not, but these people haven't checked as a matter of incentives because they want to stay in the party of false decorum. And because of that, it has led them to be absolutely terrible analysts when it comes to politics. They are wrong over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. It doesn't matter that they're saying the thing that everybody else is saying. That's not what makes them right. They are almost never correct in real time. And when they are proven wrong, most of them will deny it even then because being wrong again about that sort of thing for the same reasons they're always wrong would mean that they would have to re-examine their priors and perhaps move on from the position they're incentivized to take and adopt the position for which they will be punished. So all of the analysis coming out from mainstream sources and from members of the party of false decorum who want to benefit and profit from repeating the slogans of the mainstream fail to realize that what they're doing is making a conditional if-then argument about something where the underlying premise is totally false. If elections are clean, then voters in places like Michigan and Montana and Kansas a couple of months ago have decided that they want essentially free and easy abortions. And then they begin to analyze why that is. And they begin to extrapolate and say, see, the country actually does want all of these abortions, except the condition on which all of these statements are based is false. So the analysis is false. The elections aren't clean. Therefore, whatever conclusions are reached by assuming that the elections are clean does not reflect a real world reality at all. If the elections are clean, then there was no red wave. Of course, there was a red wave anyway, but the elections aren't clean. So drawing conclusions on the basis that the elections are clean doesn't make sense.
And this happens across the board in mainstream circles in the party of false decorum and on censored platforms like Twitter within that tiny intellectual bubble at the intellectual kids table. Virtually everything they say now about politics is wrong for the same reason, because it's based on something that is provably false and only true within the false reality. And naturally, they fail to realize this. So they spend all their time analyzing each other's analysis about situations that aren't real in the first place. And what you end up with is soap opera analysis. Almost every conversation on Twitter has incorporated false understandings about the world as it actually exists. And so you can know immediately that the arguments, the conclusions are wrong because there's no way to get right answers from false premises. It's garbage in, garbage out. And once you know that, you can pretty definitively say that whatever they're saying is false and you will ultimately be right. And when you search for answers to support your position, you will find them because your position will actually be based in an observable empirical reality. You are virtually guaranteed to find a real world answer where everything in your argument that helps you reach that conclusion will be grounded in reality. If you do this, it's actually really easy to defeat these people's arguments. Because they're all based on things that are only true in the false reality. Now, I do want to hit one other topic before I go, and that is the military audit in Brazil. Last night, The Guardian in the UK published this article. Brazil military finds no evidence of election fraud, dashing hopes of Bolsonaro supporters. And I'm just going to read the first little bit of this. A much-awaited report by Brazil's defense ministry has failed to indicate recent ballots were fraudulent, scuppering the far-right's hopes of delegitimizing the election of Luiz Inácio Lula da Silva. The military sent the 63-page report to Brazil's electoral authorities late on Wednesday after days of speculation that it would back claims by extremist president Jair Bolsonaro that the election was tainted. So now Bolsonaro is an extremist. You got it? which means he can never be correct. Bolsonaro, a former army captain, has spent months hinting he would not accept a loss at the polls and frequently called into question the reliability of Brazil's electronic ballot boxes, even though he provided no evidence they could be tampered with. His supporters hoped the military would back up these claims, but the only note of doubt was a weak suggestion that a committee be formed to ensure the source code used in the boxes cannot be tampered with. Brazil's senior election officials said they, quote, received with satisfaction the final report from the defense ministry that, in common with all the other monitoring agencies, does not point to any fraud or inconsistency in electronic ballot boxes or in the 2022 electoral process. Alexandra Moraes, the Supreme Court justice who heads the electoral court, said the suggestions on ways to perfect the system will be analyzed. The defense ministry report was published a day after the Brazilian Bar Association said it found no reports of anything untoward during the two rounds of voting for president, governors, Congress and state legislatures in 27 states. Their report said it found evidence, quote, the electoral justice system preserved evenness and security. And the article goes on. 
Now, a lot of people were immediately disheartened by this, which would be understandable because it's pretty obvious that Brazil's elections are replete with fraud and that their presidential election was just stolen. But when I saw it, I immediately thought back to what we were told after the Maricopa County forensic audit last year. That audit showed hundreds of thousands of unlawful votes. It showed the deletion of election evidence in violation of federal law. It showed ballots whose signatures did not match. And the fact that Arizona simply decided to ignore the law and stop checking and just allow ballots in with no signatures at all. But the media, after months and months of saying the whole thing was a sham and illegitimate, all they reported was actually when they recounted, it turned out that Biden won by even more. And that simply isn't true at all. But the media doesn't care. They ran with the one little piece of that forensic audit that they thought would convince the public absolutely nothing was wrong. In fact, if anyone got shortchanged, it was the fake president. And of course, they failed to inform their readers that that recount actually wasn't all of the legitimate votes. It was just all of the votes, legitimate or not. The unlawful and counterfeit votes were assumed in that count to be just as real as the real votes. But what was actually found is that Maricopa County did not conduct a lawful election in 2020, and it should have never been certified. And so I think we're seeing a direct parallel to that right now in Brazil. For its own part, the Brazilian Ministry of Defense actually published a statement and then put it all up on Twitter. And here is the statement after translation. In order to avoid distortions in the content of the report sent yesterday to the Superior Electoral Court, the TSE, the Ministry of Defense clarifies that the accurate work of the team of military technicians in the inspection of the electronic voting system, although not mentioned, it also did not exclude the possibility of fraud or inconsistency in the electronic voting machines and in the 2022 electoral process. Furthermore, the report indicated important aspects that require clarification among them. And then they list some bullet points. There was a possible security risk in the generation of programs from the electronic voting machines due to the occurrence of computers accessing the TSE network during the compilation of the source code. The functionality tests of the polls, integrity test and pilot project with biometrics in the way they were carried out were not sufficient to rule out the possibility of the influence of a possible malicious code capable of altering the function of the voting system. And there were restrictions on the technicians adequate access to the source code and software libraries developed by third parties, making it impossible to fully understand the execution of the code, which covers more than 17 million lines of programming. As a result of these findings and other obstacles listed in the report, it is not possible to guarantee that the programs that were executed in the electronic voting machines are free from malicious insertions that alter their functioning. 
Therefore, the Ministry of Defense urgently requested the TSE to carry out a technical investigation into what happened in the compilation of the source code and a thorough analysis of the codes that were actually executed in the electronic voting machines, creating for these purposes, a specific commission of renowned technicians from society and technicians representing the inspection entities. Finally, the Ministry of Defense reaffirms the permanent commitment of the ministry and the armed forces to the Brazilian people, democracy, freedom, the defense of the homeland, and the guarantee of constitutional powers, law, and order. Does that sound anything like what you just heard from the Guardian? Of course not. In fact, that sounds almost exactly like what they were finding in Maricopa County, as listed in the report on the Maricopa County forensic audit. Not that any of the media cares. And it should be pretty clear what the media is doing, both here and in Maricopa in 2020. In reality, they have found there's absolutely no reason to believe that the machine-based election was safe or secure. And they've made it impossible to access the code that could clarify these discrepancies. Same thing that happened here, which should not shock anyone because they're essentially the same systems. Now, Mike Lindell's team of actual cyber experts and people like Dennis Montgomery, who have the ability to monitor these things in real time, have the data for our 2020 election here. They have the data for the 2022 midterms, and they have the data from Brazil. They've monitored all of it. So on one hand, you have the media saying no evidence and baseless claims. And on the other hand, you have the people actually involved in the analysis of the evidence saying, hey, there are major problems here. There are ways that this could easily be infiltrated and manipulated. And we already know that to be true. That has been admitted by Democrat technicians like J. Alex Halderman. But they don't care and they're not going to admit it because if they admit it, the whole thing falls apart. Now, I hope that the Brazilian people don't actually have to deal with a couple of years of a fake president who is also a completely corrupted and compromised communist. But it's possible that they will have to do that, just like we have had to do that. But there's only one way this can go. The underlying reality still exists, and that underlying reality becomes more known to the general public every day. The only people who refuse to acknowledge this and admit this are the ones committed to remaining in the party of false decorum. They are concerned that their entire lives will crumble to nothing when these truths are exposed, which is why they will always avoid them, because they're not honest people, and they prefer the easy lie to the more difficult truth. They don't want to have to examine the baseline premises of any of these arguments, because they know what they might find. And once they find out that all of that stuff is true, they'll be forced to reckon with the fact that there are even deeper premises on which they've founded basically their entire existence that are absolutely false in the same way. And at that point, they're going to completely lose their minds. And we are reaching that point. Slow as it may be, we are still headed in that direction. 
So if you thought yesterday was a bad day, if you felt bad because you fell victim in some way to the PSYOP, think about what's coming for these people. And you might be a little happier. I'll be back tomorrow at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work. They lied to you about a pandemic. And Joe Biden will never be president. In my mind, that's the end game. If you're listening to this episode for free, you can support me and support the show and the work I do by signing up for a paid subscription at imyourmoderator.substack.com. You can do so for as low as $50 a year or $5 a month. Comes out to under a quarter per episode and you'll blast right through the paywall for all of the writing. The merch store is www.cancelcouture.com and you can find everything else by heading to Linktree. Linktree.com slash I'm your moderator. And I'll see you soon out on the range. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab at I'm Your Moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'mYourModerator.substack.com. The merch site is CancelCouture.com or go direct 
shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofa. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range. It's hell!